let us give attention to God's Word this morning as we turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 32. And we'll read through the end of the chapter. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gibeon, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Amen. A sense of reading the God's Word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh God, how blessed we are this morning, Lord, that we have Your Word in our language. Lord, that the only copy that we have of the Bible is not chained to the pulpit, but God, we have it in books, we have it on our phones, we have access to it in so many ways. But Lord, just because we have it doesn't mean we know it, doesn't mean we live it. And so we come to you this morning and just implore and, and pray, oh God, that you would speak to us uh, from your word this morning. Lord, that you would uh, deal with our hearts in such a way uh, to to, to give us faith and to strengthen the faith that we have, to trust you, Lord, uh, that we might be people that would honor you. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, uh, I wish we could, in one sense, read the entirety of uh, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, all at once and could just spend time talking about it just to fit it all together rather than having to, to break it up in, in all these different sermons. But uh, we have been talking about the topic of faith. But even more importantly than that, faith in God. And I want you to understand that, that as we come to this chapter, the focus is not faith, the focus is, is God. And it is the trust that the believer is to have in Him and, and in His promises. And so the author has been spending a, a fair amount of time talking about this, to encourage these original readers to not lose hope, to continue to walk in faith, but also to encourage us as well. But as we come to the end of this chapter, uh, like what happens with so many pastors, uh, this pastor has uh, been looking back at the things that he's conveyed about faith, and he's uh, thought about the things that he has yet to cover on the topic of faith, and he decides he needs to change his strategy and he needs to speed things up a little bit. So I don't know about you guys, but this encourages me as a pastor to know that I'm not the only one that gets to the my third point. It's like, okay, I need to wrap this up. 
And he sort of seems to do that when he says, okay, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me. In other words, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and, and Samuel and, and the prophets. And, and so he just starts listing off the names of these saints and telling us maybe just a, a few details. But, but his point is, is that the Old Testament is filled with many accounts of those who exercise faith in God. And that's important for us to understand because I think sometimes we think of the Old Testament only as law, only as rules, only as those that were seeking to, to, to work for their salvation in one sense. And the New Testament is about grace. It is about faith. But the reality is, is that the saints of old were saved the same way that the saints in the New Testament are saved. And it is by faith through Jesus Christ. And, and so, you know, as we look at these saints, we see as they uh, uh, understood that sort of that progression of redemption history, uh, their uh, relationship with God was by faith. And it was as they trusted in Him, as they walked by faith and, and by the promises that He had, that we see people of lives of great courage, we see people who had magnificent lives that in many ways would oftentimes humble us, even though uh, despite their, their frailty and their faults and their sins, um, they were people who trusted the Lord. And so this morning as we look at faith, um, as we sort of wrap this up, I want us to notice two things. First of all, that faith perseveres over obstacles. That faith perseveres over obstacles. And we see that in verses 32 through 35. And, and the author begins by listing off Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. These were all people during the time of the judges. Uh, Gideon in Judges 6 through 9 was very instrumental by faith in delivering Israel from the Midianites and with just a, a small number of men. As a matter of fact, you remember how God took his army and God says, oh, that's too many. We need to whittle it down. And he began to whittle it down until he finally got 300 men. And you think, well, that's not a bad number of men. But you have to remember that the opposing army was 35,000 troops. And yet God used that small band of men to, uh, to deliver his people. And Barak in Judges 4 and 5, along with Deborah, the prophetess, was used to deliver God's people from Jabin's army led by Sisera. And then, of course, Samson in Judges 13 through 16 delivered Israel from the Philistines. You know, even though his life was filled with inconsistency, he, he, he just had an Achilles heel for women. And, and he really wrestled, and he wanted to do what, what he wanted to do, but he believed the Lord, and at the end of his life, greatly exercised faith in the Lord uh, when he brought down Dagon's temple and, and destroyed the Philistines be, uh, through the strength that the Lord had given to him. And then Jephthah. Jephthah is not so well known in the Bible. I'm sure many of you have heard of him, but maybe kids, you've not studied him in Sunday school as much, but he was the son of a prostitute. And so he was sort of outcast by his siblings because of his mother. He ran with a really rough crowd, and but he was made a leader. And so when he faced the Ammonites, uh, Jephthah asked for victory from the Lord, which that's a good thing. Uh, but what he did is he said, Lord, if you will give me the victory, 
He says, then whatever comes out of my house when I get home, I will sacrifice that to you. Well, believe it or not, when he got home, it was his daughter that came out. And so he offered her. So, you know, you see even in these great people of faith, sort of a mixture of uh, faith in the Lord, but you also see the, the sin and, and other things as well. Well, the author moves on and he tells of David and of Samuel the prophet. Samuel, of course, being the prophet who anointed David. But he was the first in the line of great succession of prophets. And that's why it says Samuel and the prophets. And then, of course, David was a, a, a king and a great man of faith. You, you could read a lot. I mean, there's a lot that could be said about him and a lot that is said about him in, in the books of First and Second Samuel. He defeated Goliath. Kids, you probably remember that, where David went uh, before Goliath. Uh, he was patient uh, under Saul's persecution. Um, and, uh, and he eventually was given the throne. Now, I, I want us to just stop a second here, if we could. Because I think it's so easy to read these accounts in Scripture and to think, yeah, 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 I know how that ends. But in one sense, it's really important that we put ourselves in the shoes of these saints and to understand what they experienced. I mean, here is David, who is, is a young man, a shepherd boy, who's been given to the service of the king, King Saul, and, and he loves Saul, he loves Jonathan, uh, Saul's uh, son, they're, they're best friends, and, and he serves the king faithfully, and, and, and Saul begins to lash out against David for no apparent reason, but he lashes out against him. And, and the Lord tells David, promises him, that he is going to give David the throne over Israel. Now, that's the promise that is made. But then all the circumstances begin to change and to go against that promise. You know, Saul's trying to kill David, even to the point where he and Jonathan have to part ways and David has to flee for his life. Now, can you imagine the days, the weeks, the months, the years that, that have gone by and David is being hunted down by Saul and yet there's this promise that God says, you're going to be king. And, and he must walk by faith and trust the Lord, have the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, because it's not happening. As a matter of fact, he seems to be driven further into the wilderness and this large group of men sort of gather around David. Anyway, I just want us to understand and to see uh, these things in the lives of these Christians in the Bible. Because I think sometimes when we go through the things that we go through, we're like, Lord, where are you? And we question and we wonder, but brothers and sisters, this has always been the way that God has dealt with his people. That God's promises don't always happen most immediately. And in, in, in David's case, especially, because God made an everlasting covenant uh, with David and ordered in all things and secure as we read in 2 Samuel 23 and within that covenant was the promise of the birth of the Messiah that would come and we know from Matthew uh, chapter 1 that, that Jesus did come from the line of David but that happened hundreds of years afterwards and so sometimes God's promises are very very slow to happen at least the way that we think about the way that they ought to happen 
Well, the writer goes on to mention those who through faith conquered kingdoms. I mean, you think about Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt and, and the different nations that they encountered and how they overcame them. And then once the Lord took Moses home, then Joshua uh, took God's people into the promised land and conquered the different people groups there, um, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Now maybe he's still talking about David and, and Samson because both David and Samson killed lions. We see that in the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. But most likely he's referring to Daniel and the lions then, and Daniel 6, or where he goes on and talks about quench the power of fire. Very much could be talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who escaped from the fiery furnace and who had the pre-incarnate Son of God there to deliver them. But he goes on, he says, By faith God's people escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. There are so many different examples of this. You know, who exactly is he talking about? We don't know, but it could be Elijah and Elisha who escaped from being killed by the sword. I mean, David before Goliath talking about uh, being made strong out of weakness. Here's David, a young man who's going before this seasoned uh, warrior, and he stands there, and David is incensed that the army of Israel is standing here doing nothing while this pagan is out here defaming the name of God, and he is, he is uh, compelled to, to a holy um, righteousness and, and, and just indignation that, that he would be allowed to do that. And David says, I will confront him. And, and he does. And he stands and he comes to Goliath. How? He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord our God. Okay, so he's not standing there in his own strength, but in him. And then, of course, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's one of my favorite uh, men of the Bible, King Jehoshaphat. He, he, was a, he was a godly man. Not perfect, but he was godly. And uh, there was one time in Second Chronicles 20 where we read of him being confronted by just this enormous army. And Jehoshaphat stood before God and he praised God for his might. He praised the Lord for his might. But then he points out the threat of this invading army to the Lord. And this is how he puts it in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Okay, Jehoshaphat says, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? That is on this foreign army. For we are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Now, look at this, guys. Look at this. This is amazing. Our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless. I mean, talking about a posture of weakness. Here's Jehoshaphat before this army basically saying, God, we can't do anything about this. Uh, against this great horde. I mean, there's just so many of them, we can't even count them all, and they're coming against us. And then he says, we don't know what to do. In other words, the obstacle that stands before us is so great, it's so beyond us, I don't even know where to start. I'm overwhelmed. 
But what does he say? He said, but our eyes are on you. Brothers and sisters, there's not too many people I know that make this their life verse. But boy, if you want a good life verse, this is a good life verse. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Okay? And, and that should be the focus. I mean, here he is the king. He's the one that's supposed to be the, the leader, the ruler over all his people to deliver his people. And as a matter of fact, it says here, all, you know, meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. They're looking to the king to say, hey, deliver us from this army. And he's standing before the Lord saying, God, I don't know what to do. As a matter of fact, this is so great. I, I, I'm just overwhelmed. But, Lord, I'm looking to you. My trust, my faith is in you. And so Jehoshaphat looked to God in his weakness and he found strength. Well, the Lord sent a prophet to re reply to this godly king. And, and this is what the prophet said. He said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. This is 2 Chronicles 2015. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. It's not yours, but it's God. This is a great uh, reminder for us as His people. As we face the obstacles of our lives and the things that, that challenge us, maybe it is struggles over, over sin, Maybe it's decisions that we have to make. Whatever it may be, don't we oftentimes when we find ourselves in difficulty, we start thinking, okay, now how can I fix this? What can I do about this? And we sort of do muster everything within us, all the resources around us, and we try to find some way to figure this out. But Jehoshaphat is a good reminder to us that, that actually where we look is we are to look to the Lord. And, and anyway, so... So you see these, these saints that have done these great things. But there's so, so many other things he says. He said the women of faith uh, are then singled out. He said women receive back their dead by the resurrection. Uh, we see Zarephath and, and the Shunammite woman are examples of those who receive their sons back from the dead. As the prophets of God raise them. And, and then this is how God worked as his people placed their faith in him. Back then in the Old Testament, it is also how he works today if we look to him by faith. Because of faith in God, these believers obtain promises. Okay, brothers and sisters, this should certainly encourage us that the great promises of the gospel will be fulfilled in God's timing just as their promises were. Even though they faced obstacles to those promises, and you will be challenged. You are challenged. I can guarantee that. I don't know what's going on in every single detail of all of your lives, but I know that you are being challenged. And if nothing else, because Satan exists, the world exists, your flesh exists, and it's warring against everything that God is and that He has said and that He has promised. And we can be tempted to be discouraged and to lose heart and to be faint-hearted and to forget that what God says is true. And to live that way. You see, the point of all this is, is that by faith, God's people achieve what they never could have done otherwise. Okay, now that doesn't mean that God's going to give us everything that we want. But He gives us everything that we need. And we can do those things 
in His strength as we look to Him and as He works. And sometimes they're in miraculous ways, but sometimes they're in more subtle and secret ways that the Lord puts His great power to work for those who trust in Him. And so, let me ask you this this morning. Let me put this in the form of a question as we consider this. How are we to overcome great obstacles in our lives? How are you to overcome these great things that you are wrestling with, these great things even that are obstacles to your faith? How, how do we who are so weak find the strength that our circumstances require? How, how can we do that? Like Jehoshaphat. What are we to do to overcome the tragedies of our lives? Well, the answer to all these is the same. That God's people are to have faith in Him. Finding deliverance and power and resurrection in God and the God that we believe and we trust in. It's only in Him that we have hope. But faith not only perseveres in the face of obstacles, but it also perseveres in great suffering as well. And we see that in verses 35 through 38. Now, before we look at the text, let me just say this. If, if the account of faith were to stop right here before we get to the second point, uh, it might leave us with the dangerously false impression that faith keeps us from suffering in this world. In other words, if you just place your faith in God, then He's going to get you through any obstacle that you face. Okay, as a matter of fact, that's the kind of thing that we hear today. If only we have enough faith, we never need to be sick or poor or troubled in any way. The problem is, is that verses 35 through 38 refute that kind of thinking. Uh, it, it's telling us about others, as it says, or, or people who trusted God and yet were subjected to the greatest of trials. Now, when I say trials, I mean trials. For us, trials might be you know, I had a bad day, or I didn't get everything done on my to-do list that I had planned to get done, or, you know, all these different circumstances happened in life that just sort of got in my way from living life the way I wanted to do it. That is trials, sometimes for an American Christian. But what we're talking about here is much different than that. The out we're talking about the outcome uh, of, of, of people's lives that suffered greatly. And their lives were no less a triumph of faith than the others that we've read about as well. But for these Christians, uh, they honored God by faithfully enduring to the end. Some, as we read in verse 35, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You see, we see a faith that perseveres in the face of great suffering, brothers and sisters. And, and these verses begin to, to describe that, that faithfulness of those who were tortured to death and those who refuse to deny their faith. Now, many commentators believe that this is a reference to the Maccabean martyrs. And if you're not familiar with the Maccabeans, they were second century Jews who stood up to Seleucid, king of Antichus, uh, who persecuted them 
And he, he did so by requiring them to eat pig's flesh or swine's flesh. Okay, because no good Jew would eat pork, right? And so he knew that that would be an abomination to them. So he made them eat pork. But in addition to that, he also made them sacrifice to Greek gods. And, and the reason why many commentators believe that we're speaking here of the Maccabeans is, is that the apocryphal book of Second Maccabees uses the same Greek word for torture as we see in, in this passage. And so um, the, the scene that's described in the Maccabean martyrs is of seven or eight brothers. I've read both. I'm not sure how many, seven or eight brothers who were tortured, but they were tortured in succession. So they weren't just all killed at the same time, but one was tortured until he died, and then the next one was tortured until he died. Now you can imagine the impact that would have on a person if you were number four or five or six, and you watched all your brothers and your mother be put to death. But they refused to deny the faith. Now, just so you can understand this a little bit, and I don't want to dwell on this too much for the sake of the little ones, but I do want to mention the brutal tortures that they chose to endure rather than renounce the truth of the gospel. In addition to eating the pig's flesh and worshiping false gods, uh, they had their tongues torn out. Uh, there was scalping, mutilation, and even frying over the flames is how the account is described. And, and the instruments that were used by the interrogators were wheels and joint dislocators, racks, bone crushers, catapults, cauldrons, thumb screws, iron claws, wedges, and branding irons. Brothers and sisters, this, these folks suffered for their faith. But the faith of these brothers were fixed firmly on Christ. One, one brother sped out to his torturers. He said, the king of the universe will raise us up to an everlasting renewal of life because we have died for his laws. The, the last brother to die, he turned to the king and, and, and uh, you know, he assured him that his brothers, though dead, he said, and I quote, after enduring their brief pain, now drink of ever-flowing life by virtue of God's covenant. You see how... Uh, ironic, brothers and sisters, that, that God brought us to this passage on this Reformation Sunday. And we think of the many, whether it be Haas or Tyndall or, or others who gave their lives so that we might have this, the Word of God, and we might have so in our own language. That we might have Sunday school classes where teachers would stand up and say, let me teach you today how to study the Bible. I'm going to walk you through how to do that. Oh, brothers and sisters, this has come at such a great cost. We think of Reformation Sunday, we might think of Martin Luther and his 95 Theses and, and that, and that's true. But those things are great, but there were so many who suffered. Uh, and that's the kind of faith that we see in our text today. Those that had such trust and had such faith in God that they gladly would lay down their lives. The kind of sacrifice and faithfulness uh, to those who don't know God, it's just incomprehensible. They can't fathom that. But to the one who has faith in God, it's a reasonable response. Now, let me read to you uh, uh, the, what another contemporary, uh, the Maccabeans, uh, another contemporary Jewish writer 
put as he talks about these martyrs. He said, the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God. Okay, The souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and no torment will ever touch them. In the eyes of the foolish, they seem to have died, and their departure was thought to be an affliction, and they're going from us to be their destruction, but they are at peace. In other words, they may have suffered for their faith, and they may have died, but they actually are in God's hands. And while it might look that they have come to destruction, that's not true. Actually, they're in very great peace, even after their death. For though in the sight of men they were punished, their hope is fully immortality. You see, Hebrews 11.36 tells us of those who were mocked and flogged and chained and put in prison. And, and we can think of any number of prophets that this was true. This was even true of our, of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and was suffered. He was beaten, he was flogged, he was ridiculed. Um, verse 37 speaks of those who even were sawn in half. Uh, it's uh, believed by tradition, we don't know this from Scripture, but tradition tells us that Isaiah the prophet was most likely sawn in half by King Manasseh. Um, many in the Bible were undoubtedly killed with the sword and, and went about in makeshift clothing. They were destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, as our text says. And, but even though these servants of the Lord were often mistreated as the scum of the earth, they were, as our text tells us, of whom the world was not worthy. You see, these men and women were thought to be unfit by the world because of their faith, when in reality this world was not fit for them because of their unbelief. And who knows, maybe one day that's where we'll be. Maybe one day we will have to incur such things. But let us remember words like of Hebrews 11.16 that tells us, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. How well they remind us uh, of what John writes as he says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So great was God's grace in the lives of these saints, brothers and sisters, and yet still as great is His grace today to those who put their faith and trust in Him. Now how could people ever stand firm in their faith like that? Well, that brings us to our third point, because faith counts on salvation. A true faith has the courage to count on salvation. The, the faithful saints had to live in hope. They had a hope. They, they knew very little... These Old Testament saints knew very little about the nature of salvation or the time of salvation or even the means of God's salvation, but they knew it was coming. And, and that was the basis of their trust, that God had said He would send the Messiah and they could trust. They were looking for that deliverer. They had abiding confidence that one day God would do the necessary thing, not only to redeem them, but to reward them as well. And so what happened to them was not of any importance. Uh, as, as Hebrews 11.39 says, they did not receive what was promised, uh, but they had been uh, commended through their faith. Here again, he's referring back to what he said in verse 1, right? Uh, Hebrews 11.1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. Verse 2, For by it the people of old received their commendation. And see, that's, they were commended through their faith. Their faith was not in some immediate fulfillment, but in the ultimate fulfillment of the promises. And brothers and sisters, that is where faith is most tested and where it matters most. It's one thing for us to trust God you know, in the obstacles in our lives. As, as God gives us His promises, and then we see life working out much different than the way God has promised in His Word. Sometimes it's difficult to trust Him and to rest in Him and have the peace that only comes from Him as we continue to walk by faith in the things that He has said, regardless of what the circumstances look like. But it is another thing, brothers and sisters, when we do not receive those promises here on this earth, and we must return that which we must uh, lean on God and trust in Him for those promises that will only be answered uh, ultimately in, in heaven. Because the ultimate promise for these saints, and even for us, is a Redeemer, a Messiah. Uh, and even the Old Testament saints look forward to that. First Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter talks about this salvation. And he says, concerning this salvation... The prophets, that is the Old Testament prophets, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, that is these New Testament saints, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories that were to take place. And so as we, we look at this, these saints were looking forward. All of those in the past who had that courageous faith did so because they were looking forward to that final salvation. Many of them never received the land, as we talked about earlier. Sometimes they, they had earthly victories, but sometimes they didn't. Sometimes their faith saved them from death, but other times their faith brought them to death. But no matter, because they knew, as verse 40 says, God had provided something better. As a matter of fact, he says, God has provided this something better for us. That is for these New Testament, these New Covenant Christians. Which is why, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You see, not until the time of Christ could salvation be completed. So these Old Testament saints were, were looking forward to that. Until Christ's atoning work on the cross was accomplished... No salvation was complete, no matter how great the faith of a believer had. Their salvation was based on what Christ would do. As I said, their, their faith looked forward. That doesn't mean that they were second-rate believers. Uh, they, uh, brothers and sisters, they courageously struggled and suffered and counted on salvation. They believed all of God's word that they had. They believed that the promises that they had, which is, uh, which is what counts with God but as we come this morning brothers and sisters we stand in a greater light we stand knowing the salvation that God has given through his son the Lord Jesus Christ brothers and sisters uh, how much more our faith ought to be as we trust in him than of the saints of old but too often our lives are tied too much to this world. I mean, think about that. Think about the things that you desire. Think about the things that just really excite you in life. 
the things that you spend hours planning on and, and the ways that you spend your money and the priorities that you have in your life, are they on things that are temporal or on things that are eternal? Are they on things that are earthly or are they on things that are eternal? In, in spite of our much greater light of salvation, uh, our temptation can be to think of God and His promises only as they relate to the things of this world. But brothers and sisters, God's promises are much greater than just the temporal things of this world. His promises extend all the way into eternity and will keep us faithful to the end. And so let us walk in the greater light of the salvation that we have in, in Jesus Christ. Um, let us take to heart John's word. John says, uh, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Is that who we are as his children? Are we those who, who believe in him and who walk by faith? Are we people who believe that God exists and he is a rewarder of those who seek him? Are we those who understand that we were born sinners, uh, alienated from God, enemies of God? I know that's hard to believe, especially maybe for you kids that are growing up in a Christian home, to think that you're an enemy of God because you're thinking from the time you're little you've heard nothing but God. But the reality is that's the condition that every single person that's ever born is born into, that they are alienated against God. They may be a very religious person, but they are the center of their universe and they want what they want when they want it. And, and God says that that sin alienates us from Him. But He knew that we could do nothing about that and from His plan, from even before the world was created, He had planned to send His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and to die for those sins and to take the payment for our sins and to take that sin away that alienates us from God and to give us new hearts and a new life that would love God. It doesn't mean that we don't still struggle with sin, but we now have given been given hearts that would love God and, and, and choose Him and uh, desire Him. Do we believe that? Do we walk in that? One author said, he said, far from concluding from this great chapter that our circumstances make a smaller demand for faith, this argues that our greater privilege brings a greater responsibility that we walk by faith. In light of the cross of Christ, this is how every believer should respond. And let me just close uh, with those words of the great hymn written by Isaac Watts entitled, When I Survey the Wonders Cross. This is the attitude that we come to as we walk by faith. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count the loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to His blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were present far too small. Love so amazing, 
so divine. Thee man's my soul, my life, my all. Would you bow with me? God, we come to you this morning so thankful that you are the one that, that gives us faith. That if you did not open our eyes and give us new life in Christ, we, we wouldn't even see you for who you were. We would be just like everyone else in the world, Lord, still enemies of yours, hostile to your ways. But we thank you, Lord, for the faith that, that you have given to us. Uh, we do confess, Lord, our frailty, our sin. Many times the ways that we have just sought to fix things in our lives ourselves. But we pray, Lord, today that, that you would cause us to walk by faith, to trust you and the promises. Lord, if I pray for those today that especially are facing great obstacles. Lord, uh, for all of us, Lord, as we seek to walk in your righteousness and in your holiness and yet see the circumstances of our lives being very different from that and being challenged and uh, Satan's attacks and the world's temptations and, and the things that surround us that, that seem to distract us. Oh God, let us not fix our eyes upon us. Lord, let us fix our eyes upon you and to trust in you. And I pray, Lord, for any that might be listening here today who do not know you as our Lord and their Savior, I pray, God, that they would uh, repent of their sin, turn away from that, that they would trust in you, that they would cry out to you, O God, for mercy, knowing, Lord, that you are a God who saves. Not might save, but you are a God who does save. We just thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.